Ryan, you filth, you filthy animal. <laughs> I saw I saw both of those movies this past week. <laughs> Home Alone is definitely one of my favorites. I love it. I love I love both of those. The first two, anyway, not not the last two, but the first two were. Yeah, those were the first. Those were the only ones. I also saw Elf. I saw National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and I I watched Santa Claus is Coming to Town last night. So, I tried to get Rudolph, but you have to pay for that one. So I didn't get that one, needless to say. But yes, um, Home Alone is definitely a a great, a great Christmas movie. But anyway, so um, want to begin this morning. Uh, Today's message is going to remind us that the, the the love of God fills us and it fuels us. You know, we've been talking about Advent and we've been talking about the, the four themes of Advent, which Ryan just talked about the hope that we have and the peace and the joy. And, and today we're going to talk about love. You know, it, it calls us this, this, this idea, what we're going to be talking about today, it calls us and enables us to love each other, you know, just, just like Jesus did. You know, Jesus's love, I truly believe, is a, is a fearless love that calls us to cross the borders. It calls us to cross the borders, to tear down the walls, and to reach out and above the disagreements that we might have with other people and to truly and authentically love one another. That's what it calls us to do. God's love is radical. God's love is unbelievable. God's love is healing. And so it's time for us to ask ourselves this question as we go through this service today. And that is this. Are we showing the love of God to those around us? Really, truly, are we showing the love of God around us? If we're not, then today is a new day, folks. Today we start. Today is a new day. Renew your Christmas experience this year by embracing love no matter what. No matter how bad things get, no no matter how bad things are, you know, as we talked about the last three weeks, we were were to never, ever give up hope. Never give up hope. It's, It's a perpetual thing. It's a continuous thing. Never give up hope. Never, ever give up hope. This is a season of expectation, of preparation, an opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence and to truly renew our Christmas experience. Just to renew it. I like that word renew. Taking something old and making it new again. That's what God does to us. You know, during this Advent season, what we're doing is we've been exploring the attributes of Christ. You know, looking at his birth and, and the whole Christmas season of, of hope and a, of peace and of joy and of love. That's what it's all about. And last night at our Christmas Eve service, we celebrated the coming of the Christ child. I talked about like eight or nine different movies last night, Ryan, just so you know. And Home Alone was one of those movies that I talked about. But I'm talking about the, the true story. You know, all those, all those movies have this, this great happy ending, but a lot of times life just doesn't work that way, does it? It just doesn't work that way. But in this story here of the Christ child coming, we were challenged to make rooms 
in our hearts for God to write his story. You know, so today we continue with renewing our love of Christmas. And I want to share a, a, a story with you, a story of two old farmers. There once were two old farmers. They were neighbors, but they had a feud that lasted for years, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You know, the, the, the grudge grew to the point that one of the farmers dug a ditch to reroute a spring in order to divide their properties. That's how much they hated each other. One day, a carpenter came through the area looking for work. This carpenter knocked on one of the farmer's doors, and the farmer thought, if he's going to divide us with that ditch, then I'll finish the job with this tall fence. What's that old saying? You know, um, tall fences, you know, how, how does it go? Yeah, good fences make good neighbors. So that's what this guy's thinking. So, so he asked the carpenter to, to build a big tall fence across the property. So the carpenter said, okay, I, I can do that, but it's going to take a lot of wood. So the farmer went into town to buy more wood, and the carpenter started working with the, the wood that, that was in the shed. And so the farmer started back with the load of wood, and as he drove down the road to his home, he looked across the field, but he didn't see a fence. He didn't see a fence. Instead, believe it or not, what he saw was this carpenter was building a bridge across the creek. <laughs> he was building a bridge across the creek. And, and, and there across the bridge... Believe it or not, was one of those old farmers, his neighbor, who came walking towards him with his, his hand outstretched, with a big sheepish grin on his face. He says, you're a brave man. I didn't think you'd ever want to hear the sound of my voice again. Can you forgive me? The first farmer was surprised as he reached out to shake his neighbor's hand. That story is by the, the singer-songwriter, whose name is David Wilcox. He uses it as an introduction to a song that he calls Fearless Love. That was the story. And the song goes on to weave together another narrative that is about a church protest, you know, a person that was caught up in it and who remembered Jesus' teaching to his disciples to love their enemies by using the example of carrying a Roman soldier's pack Twice the distance that he required you to carry it. And the chorus goes like this. Fearless love makes you cross the border. Fearless love makes you cross the border. You know, the, the love that Jesus displays to the world is indeed what I would say a fearless love. You know, lacking any fear, the love of Jesus defies and overcomes fear. And today, as we continue our journey through the Advent, you know, we choose to focus on love that Jesus brought into this world and also not just into this world, but let's make it personal right now into our own individual lives. That's what he does for us. So if you've been journeying with us these past few weeks towards Christmas, you know that we have celebrated Advent. And as a quick recap, the word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation and, and waiting and anticipation and longing. Remember I talked to you about it last week about 
you know, that, the little kid who grabs the dad's leg and he's holding on tight. He doesn't want to let go. It's that kind of anticipation. I just remember as a little kid, you know, going back to my bedroom to go to bed at night and, and waiting, just couldn't go to sleep, waiting for, for mom and dad to say, okay, come on out, kids. Well, we, we always beat them out there. That anticipation, that great anticipation and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longings for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, which we're doing today, and to be alert for his second coming. Because Jesus is coming back someday, guys. He is coming back to take us to be with him someday. He is coming back. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope filled, fulfilled in, in Jesus' coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom and his return for his people. He's coming back. So during Advent, we wait for both. It's kind of like this, this active, assured this hopeful waiting. We know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And each week, we, we were focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. This, this, this idea of hope and, and peace, as we see on our banners here, the joy and the love. And each week, I forgot to light them. Would someone come up here and light these candles for me? Just the, it's the things right in there. I completely forgot to light those this morning. We, we lit these candles every week here to burn brightly until his coming. And through these traits, you know, we are, we are learning how we can renew our Christmas experience despite the challenges, the hardships, the pains, and the difficulties we might be experiencing because we all experience those things, don't we? Life is not easy. Life is not a bed of roses. It's just not easy. We all experience them. But because Jesus Christ has come to be God with us, Emmanuel, we can experience the love of Christ no matter what discouragement we may be going through. We can still experience that. Thank you, Ginger. We can still experience that. So we are also looking at different characters of the nativity story and seeing how they encountered the arrival of Jesus into the world. Three weeks ago, we looked at Simeon and Anna's story, and the whole theme was this idea of keeping hope alive. Two weeks ago, we talked about peace. Uh, When we think of peace embodied in the Christmas story, I know for myself I can't help but think of the shepherds. They were the most unlikely recipients of God's message of peace, and yet they were the ones chosen to receive that message. Last week, we looked at the joy of Christmas. We talked about the joy of Christmas. You know, there, there's a lot of joy throughout the biblical story, especially early in that story. But it's important to note that this joy isn't separate from pain and disappointment. We're still going to experience the pain of life, the disappointments in life. It's just the way it is. In fact, much of this joy is born out of long disappointments and grief. That's what happens. So what we did was we explored 
the stories and experiences of Elizabeth and Mary as we talked last week. But today, today we're going to approach it a little bit differently. I want to look at everyone in the biblical account of Christ's birth. And as we do, I hope that we will realize that the birth of Jesus brings together a a wide variety of people. I want you to think about the different type of people we're going to talk about from across many different lifestyles, ages, and situations. In other words, the message is for everybody. It's not just for us. It's for everyone. So if we walk through the story in order, again, we start with Zachariah and Elizabeth, along with Mary and Joseph. So you got the old and you got the young. Bob and Sarah, Ryan and Chrissy. (laughs) I'm not calling you old, honey. But that's what we're talking about here. The, The prophet, the prophets of Israel's past you know, and the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah and the, and the new spiritual future is what we're talking about here. You know, the separation and the death of the past and the restoration and life is now present. Then we meet the shepherds and the angels, the beings from heaven and the beings from earth, the, the physical and the spiritual. And as they heard, uh, as they head to the stable, there are animals and, uh, and, and mankind who witnessed the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we have the angels meeting the shepherds, the shepherds, the heavenly beings and the earthly beings, the earthly beings head to the stable where they find Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. And the stable animals, I guess there were stable animals around them at that time. Next, in this Christmas story, we go to Matthew's Christmas story account. And there we meet the Magi who were these these mysterious visitors from the east. We don't really know completely about them. We're not entirely sure, but we know that they followed a star a long distance to find and worship the promised Messiah. We do know that. You know, some scholars think that they may have come from China. It's a possibility. At any rate, whether they were astrologers or some kind of rulers, the Magi were noble and wealthy men who demonstrated God bridging the divide of mankind. He put that bridge across that creek. That's what he did. He bridged the divides of mankind. The Magi were clearly the opposite of the lowly shepherds in the social structure of things. Just the absolute opposite. Yet, more importantly, what were the Magi? They were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And their inclusion in Jesus' birth, I think, echoes the radical idea that, that Christ, the Messiah, brings salvation and restoration to all people. Amen. To all people. Not just the Jews, but to all people. The Magi were also thought to be holy men of sort. But interesting enough, what we don't find in the Christmas story are these spiritual VIPs of the time who were who, who were invited to Jesus' birth. They, they just weren't invited. Instead, there were travelers of a different race 
who, who received an audience with King Herod and who were willing to disrupt their lives for this great journey and, and humble themselves to worship a baby, you know, of, of a poor, unassuming couple in this countryside that they had never been into. A baby thought to be the king of the Jews. So see, the, the cast of characters that God assembles for the arrival of his son to this earth is far from the expectations that any of us probably could ever imagine and far from the expectations of the people that day who lived within the cultural and social divisions of that day. To us, it may seem like they're a ragtag bunch. To others, it might seem blasphemous that the Messiah would associate with with unclean people, unclean of humanity and of creation. Could Jesus have united any more of a diverse group of individuals by being born? Wow. I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, Jesus' birth united the social and the racial spectrums of the day. And in so doing, God revealed his love for mankind. That's what he did. He revealed his love for mankind. First thing that we want to show here is this, is this idea here, that Christ is love embodied. Christ is love embodied. The Bible talks about love in, in many places. It says that, that God is love in the Bible, in his story for all humanity. You know, from the time of creation, God spent time with mankind, with, with Adam and Eve in the garden as companions and children. When sin entered the world, it brought death, it brought brokenness and separation from, from such a close relationship with God. See, at one time, guys, man walked with God just like we're going to at the end of all of this when we're in heaven. But Adam and Eve walked with God because there was no sin in the world. And God did not turn his back on mankind. He continued to work and covet or have a covenant with, with mankind. And so through generation and generations, he, he worked his plan and fulfilled his promise of a Messiah to make a way to restore that relationship to humanity. And that, that is, that, that way is Jesus. He's the one who came. He came as a Christ child. He was born of a virgin. This relationship with God is a, is a relationship with love. It is a reunion of love itself. And the Apostle John describes this love in this way. And I'm going to read it from my Bible. And you can look off the, the monitor there. But this is what it says. It says in 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, it says this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God is so loved, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us 
and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. He goes on to say, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Wow. You know, John tells us something really important here. John tells us that God is love. God personifies it. Love is God's nature. You know, he, he has shown it uh, to us by sending Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, giving him our lives, we are restored to this love. That's what it's all about. You know, we are fulfilled in love. We live in him and he lives in us. You, you can count on God's love. He will not let you down. God has never let you down. The love of God fills us and fuels us. It calls us to, and, and, and enables us to love each other. And I think that's the really important part there, that it, it calls us and enables us to love each other. And that brings me to the second point that I'm going to make, and that's this. Love defines us and love does. I don't know if you've ever read the book that, um, I think his name is Bob Goff. It's called Love Does. Great book. Jesus brought this restoration to love when he entered the world, when he came into this world. Near the end of his earthly ministry, he is gathered with his disciples. And he says over here in, in, in the book of John, you know, he's gathered with his disciples for the Passover and meal, to, the Passover meal together. So we're at the other end here now. We're at the beginning of his life talking about this. But now we're talking about the end of his life. And he's gathered with the 12 disciples at the last Passover meal together. And this is what Jesus tells them. He says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He goes on to say, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. I think that is such a powerful scripture. You know, as Jesus teaches his disciples, he wanted to make sure that they loved one another. That was key for him and others, you know, like he loves others. And here is the most important part regarding love. This is the most important part. How will people know if a person is a follower of Jesus Christ? How will they know? How will they know? By the love they show one another and other people in this world. You know, you've heard it before. How will people know we are Christians? It's by our love. You've heard it. We've talked about it. Friends, the love of Christ is what defines us. It defines us. It tells us who we are. It, it marks us and it characterizes us, or at least it should, 
We, as the church body, don't always do a great job of this. We don't. You know, it's easy for us to point the finger at wrongs done by others and the church. And, and we can all probably think of public Christians and churches in, in our time who have made us cringe and, and maybe even angry or embarrassed at their unloving actions. But we must also look at our own hearts and consider our own actions too. And we need to ask ourselves this question again. Said it before. Am I displaying the love of Jesus to those around me? That's an important question for us to ask ourselves. Are we displaying that love of Jesus around us? You know, no one is perfect. No one is perfect. As individuals or as a collective church, we're not perfect. We don't claim to be. But each of us can certainly find opportunities in this Christmas season and in our current cultural climate to allow God's love to flow through us to others. We can allow that. So so what things can we do? What are some things that we can do to demonstrate that love for other people? One of the things that we can do is, is just listen. To listen to people. You know, we can be generous with our finances, with our time, with our energies. You know, one of the things that you could do is, is be an encouragement to other people. That's another thing that you can do to demonstrate your love. You can show acts of kindness. You can pray for people. And there's a hundred other things that we can do. But I believe that prayer for, for people is one of the things that can change lives. Prayer changes things. And on a note, we move right to the third point, and that's this. Not only does love define us and love does, but love empowers us to cross the borders. You know, at a, at a time, at, at times we may find ourselves divided or at odds with, with people or with someone, who knows. However, we are to love deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. And Peter talks about that over in 1 Peter. He says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, This is what he says. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. And you know, I I like that passage there because he doesn't just tell us to love each other, does he? What does he say to do? He says to love each other deeply. This isn't a a, 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 like a, a skim of the, of the water type of thing. This is a, a going deep type of thing. This is a, this is a deep love for one another. And so that's what he's telling us to do. Jesus teaches his disciples that, you know, and so we, we need to, even if we're at odds with someone, we need to show our love deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I believe God's love can heal the divide if we only try. You know, it seems in our culture and our nation and the world and, and, and people in general find multiple ways to divide us. I tell you what, it has been very difficult, especially with our government right now. And I'm not going to get into that, but dividing us. We, we don't, we need to not allow that to happen. You know, it seems to me that the us and the thems have been on the rise as of late. The us and thems, we need to stop that. We need to, we need to not allow that to happen. But there is no excuse for not displaying God's love. Throughout history, 
The world has been filled with wars and greed and plunder and oppression. It's just the way that life has been. You know, there, there has always been the weak and the powerful, the haves and the have-nots. There has always been us versus them. You know, as far back as history can go, you know, even as Jesus displayed and preached the love of God, the us and the thems divided the Jews and the Gentiles, the rich and the poor, the, the religious to the non-religious, the, the godly and the ungodly. And sadly, it's still the same today. And it's why Jesus' teaching was so radical and God's love is so radical. You know, just look how radical Jesus gets. I want you to look over in Matthew and, and you see how radical Jesus gets here when, when we're talking about this love thing. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus, he changes it. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He, he, he changes it. Jesus came and he changed things. Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth. He continuously reached across the divide. Jesus befriended the hated tax collectors. And he even invited Matthew, who was a tax collector, to follow him as one of his 12 disciples. He asked him to do that. Jesus spoke with a Samaritan woman at the well, which Jews considered to be wrong. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And a Jewish man, you know, did not talk to a Jewish woman in public. Jesus told his listeners that if a Roman soldier forced you to carry his backpack a mile, you take it two miles. Jesus changed things. That's what he did. The Good Samaritan is one of the most powerful stories about this kind of love. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to share a couple passages here with you from Luke chapter 10. Let me read verses 35 or 30 through 35 for you. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place where he, and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Are you, are you catching the significance of that? We're talking about a priest and a Levite. Those, the Levites were of the priestly order. And you got the priest who's, who's the leader of the church and they both passed by on the other side. They didn't want to have anything to do with this guy. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. That, that's so important, guys. This is, a, this is a good and challenging story for us today when it comes to love. But it was astounding that, that, that Jesus' ancient listeners 
it just blew them away. They didn't like what he had to say because they were cutting down the priest and the Levite and, and he was lifting up the Samaritan who they hated. But Jesus is making a point that their racism against the, the Samaritans went back centuries when the kingdom of Israel was split. The Jews hated the Samaritans. You know, the Samaritans intermarried with foreigners and established their own temple and worship. The Jews considered the Samaritans as an inferior race with a corrupt religious and view. And they, they just couldn't stand them. They were prejudiced against them. But Jesus was telling the story of a Samaritan as an example of what it means to truly love your neighbor. What it means to love. Jesus was reaching across the divide. He was going across that little bridge there. Across that little creek there. Only it wasn't a little bridge. It's a huge bridge. And it's a huge river. And he was reaching across that. He reached across the cultural, the spiritual, the political, the racial divisions. And he called us to do the same. That's what he calls us to do. He calls us to do the same. Jesus was illustrating the kind of love that, that John describes back in 1 John. If you go all the way back to the very first passage we read today, this kind of love that John describes in verses 18 and 19 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The man who fears is not made perfect in love. He goes on to say in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Jesus' love is fearless love that, that calls us to, to cross the borders, to tear down the walls, to reach out above the disagreements and to love one another. The fear that is driven out by love is the fear that is often found within ourselves. But love will overcome that fear. Love overcomes our fear of those who may not look like us or sound like us or share the same perspective or experience as us. Love tears down the walls and it builds the bridges as what happened to those two old farmers. That's what true, authentic, godly love does. So, so maybe reaching across the divide begins with you at home or with us here at the church. Maybe in your family, in your neighborhood, maybe it's in your workplace or in your community. For you see, Jesus calls us together into his loving presence and he invites us to make room in our hearts for all. Whether we think they deserve it or not. We are to love not just at Christmas time, but as Cousin Eddie said, the whole year through. That's what we're supposed to do. Love every day. You know, there is humility in love, a, a willingness to put someone else first. Sometimes love means taking the simple step of building a bridge as in the story of the farmers. Sometimes it means being willing to listen and not defend yourself. Sometimes it's always being willing to choose 
to see someone else as equally loved by God, equally welcomed in his presence, equally drawn into the divine and all-consuming love of God. And this is one of the hardest lessons that I found myself trying to learn and discover. And that is this, is that God loves my enemies just as much as he loves me. And that was hard to discover. But he loves my enemies just as much as he loves me. I'm no more special than they are. And as I close, this is God's love. This is the gift of the Christ child. This is the message of Christmas. This is the heart of Christmas. And as we continue our Christmas day, let us renew our Christmas experience by renewing the overwhelming, the all-encompassing, the all-welcoming love of God. Amen? Amen. And as I close, I want to leave you with this blessing. It's a blessing of love. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And this is what it says. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the, to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, you know what you need to do? You need to love. Authentic love, that's what we need. Authentic love. And that is the, the foundation, the, the, true, the true part of the Christmas story. You know, the, over this past four weeks, we've talked about hope, you know, and that, that, that hope should never fade. We talked about peace, and we talked about the joy of the Lord being our strength. But I tell you what, folks, I saved the best for last because without love, we're nothing. But with love, we can cross that divide. We can cross that bridge. And we can allow everyone to be a part of what we have. It starts with you, and it starts with me. So I want to extend a very Merry Christmas to each one of you, from our household to yours. And I want to thank you for being here today. And if you have a decision that you need to be making for the Lord this morning, as our band comes up and we close our time together,